morning we begin a new series on God's Word for Hurting People. And primarily we're going to be looking in some selected psalms and talking about what God has to say in times when the bottom drops out of our life, when things are not going the way we had hoped they would go. Now, life brings changes, and life brings circumstances that we didn't always anticipate. And if we're not careful, we will begin to focus on those circumstances, and quite honestly, that's depressing. In fact, most of the surveys about how people feel about their future, about the future of their kids, about the economy, about the state of America, and everything else is negative. It's depressing. It's depressing to watch the news. Uh, used to, you know, you only kind of knew what happened in the circle of influence of your life and, and in the little town where you grew up. And then, but with 24-7 news cycles, I mean, you know if somebody's house burns down in Minnesota. Not that it affects you, but then the devil starts to play on that and say, you know, yours could be next. Yours could be the next one. And it starts wearing on you, and before you know it, you get depressed. In the land of the free and the home of the brave, we are becoming a depressed people. In fact, 8% of the adult population in America today suffers with some form of depression. That's 15 million people that have some form of depression. With teenagers, it's becoming a more and more serious problem. 4% of teenagers develop serious depression a year. Suicide is the third leading cause of death among those ages 10 to 24. We don't think about it. We think about those as the days of idealism and hopes and dreams. But in reality, what's happening in our teen culture is because of several things. First of all, unrealistic expectations. We now have an environment in which it's very unlikely that teens will enjoy what their grandparents and their parents have enjoyed. That can become very depressing. Unrealistic expectations. Images without integrity. You know, you look at the cover of the magazines in a, in a newsstand and you see all these people and you think, man, I could never look like that. Well, with $30,000 of photoshopping, you could. I had a friend of mine that had a publicity picture taken not long ago and, and the guy was sitting there with it. He took the pictures. He said, man, he said, I'm looking old. He said, not when I get through with you. He said, this little dark spot right here, we're going to take that off. These little circles on here, we're going to take those off. Those little crow's feet right there, they're going to disappear. That's why sometimes when you meet somebody and you see a picture of them, you go, whoa, <laughs> what happened to them? <laughs> well, they got photoshopped. I remember one cover of uh, People magazine that they were saying, one of the world's most beautiful people. Now Beyonce is that, and it'll be somebody else next year. But, you know, one of the world's most beautiful people. And then about two weeks later, it came out that with Photoshopping, they took 30 pounds off of her in the picture. Well, I could look good if somebody took 30 pounds off of me and, you know, fixed me up. I mean, we get these unrealistic images that we cannot live up to. And, and then social media makes it even worse because we start reading people's Twitters and Facebooks and they're taking these trips and they have this stuff and they have what you don't have and that depresses you. 
children is becoming a problem because we're now seeing the effects of multiple generations of families with divorce and two and three divorces and, and the lack of fathers in the home. We're seeing a, a discouragement and a depression happening among children who, who get to be fearful. Some get greatly agitated very easily and some are overly aggressive. One of the key signs for depression in children and teenagers is any sudden change of behavior. Now, that doesn't mean your two-year-old is depressed. It just means they're two. Okay? You know, we, we used to say about Erin uh, when she was growing up that every day was either the greatest day of her life or the worst day of her life. There was never anything in between. You know, she'd come home from school, oh, today was such a great day. She'd come home the next day, oh, I just don't want to go to school. I do, you know, what happened? She was five. That's just life. Every day's not tomorrow's Monday. Does that depress you already? <laughs> Tomorrow is Monday. It's going to be Monday all day long. So you just might as well decide. The only alternative is visitation hours. Monday night. It's easy to get depressed. In fact, there was an article in the New York Times in, in 1992 by Dr. Frederick Goodwin, and he said he's the national uh, director of the National Institute of Mental Health. And listen to what he says. He says, you have to consider long-term trends in explaining this pattern of increasing rates of depression over three generations with a quickening in the last two. There's a tremendous erosion of the nuclear family, a doubling of the divorce rate, a drop of parent time available to children, and an increase in mobility. You don't grow up knowing your extended family anymore. The losses of these stable sources of self-identification means a greater susceptibility to depression. Now, great people have battled depression. Winston Churchill called depression the black dog that hounded him all his life. Ernest Hemingway battled depression. Abraham Lincoln had severe bouts of depression. After his wife died, she never wore anything, but after he died, his wife never wore anything but black. She was depressed. She thought spending, and that's why she didn't have any money, she thought spending and buying new hats and gloves and, and other things would make her happy, and it didn't. It just put her in the poorhouse. The Bible's full of people that deal with depression. Moses had some battles with it. Elijah had a battle with it. After one of Elijah's greatest victories, he went out and sat under a tree and sucked his thumb. Now, the Bible doesn't say he sucked his thumb. I just threw that in there just to see if you were listening. So you won't send me a note to say, you're not preaching the word. Uh, Jeremiah suffered it. Spurgeon battled depression. Spurgeon was known, known for his great booming laugh. And yet he battled gout for about the last 20 years of his life, and it led him to deep depression. And yet he was known as a man of joy. Vance Havner showed me a letter one time that uh, Sarah had written him before she died about her belief in him because he was traveling and on the road so much by himself. And he said, he handed it to me and showed it, and I opened it up and read it. He carried it in his wallet. He said, you know, in times when I get discouraged, I open up this letter and I remember that somebody believed in me. Ron Dunn, who's the greatest Bible teacher I ever knew, was bipolar manic depressive. 
He did not live in the tank with that. He understood the victory that God gives more than anybody I've ever met. Manly Beasley spent most of the last 20 years of his life in and out of hospitals. One of the most joyous men I ever met, and yet he, he never had a time when his arms weren't bruised from having uh, needles and IVs stuck into his arms, and yet there was great joy in his life. And I began to learn from these people that, that God puts you through some tough times and, and life puts you through some tough times, but that doesn't mean you have to wallow in depression. The psalmist knew this, Psalm 42. We're going to be in Psalm 42 and 43. By, by the way, is it easy for you as it is for me to spot people that are dealing with depression or trying to hide the fact that they're dealing with it? Now, I've told you this before. We had a lady named Maxine. I don't think she, she's around anymore, so I'll use her name. We had a lady named Maxine that worked in my dad's drugstore. And, and my dad finally pulled me aside and said, don't ask Maxine how she's doing anymore because she'll tell you. And when she started, she started at age two, and she was like 55, and she went all the way up. There was a timeline. You know, I just thought maybe we could just post it in front of the cash register, Maxine's timeline, down, depressed, down, depressed, down, depressed, because that's all she wanted to do was talk about how depressed she was. And my dad would give her a raise. I don't know if this is going to help. I mean, nothing seemed to make her happy. You see, the psalmist knew what this felt like. David in Psalm 42 in verse 2 says, My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all day long, Where is your God? These things I remember, and I pour out my soul within me. For I used to go along with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God, with a voice of joy and thanksgiving, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you in despair? Or as King James says, why so downcast? Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him for the help of His presence. O my God, my soul is in despair within me. I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As a shattering of my bones, my adversaries revile me. While they say to me all day long, where is your God? Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him. The help of my countenance. It's a great phrase. The help of my countenance and my God. Now, there's no, in the, in the notes put there as people began to divide things up, there, there's no introductory remark before Psalm 43. In, in fact, in some of the oldest Hebrew manuscripts, these two psalms kind of flow together because what you have is three stanzas of a song with a repeated chorus. It shows up in Psalm 42 and it shows up in Psalm 43. Psalm 43 and verse 5, why are you in despair, O my soul? And why are you disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. 
You know what I love about David? And one reason why the pages and Psalms in your Bible have more fingerprints and dirt on them and marks in them than any other book in the Bible because David knew how we felt. And God allowed him to write songs that were sung in the worship of the Hebrew people about life issues and about life problems. He knew how we felt, and he knew what to do about it. Now, you look at David. This psalm was probably written during Absalom's rebellion when he's been run out of Jerusalem. He, he is running for his life. His son has rebelled against him. Talk about ways to be depressed. His family is coming unraveled. He's coming apart. He doesn't know who his friends are and who his enemies are. He, he knows that people are out to kill him. He may never again be able to go to his palace in Jerusalem. He may never again be able to go and worship God in the tabernacle. He, he sees life has changed and it may never come back. Here's a man who has lost his sense of God's presence. And there are 51 personal pronouns in these two psalms. This is a personal psalm. Uh, one, 14 times he says, I, 16 times me, and 21 times he says, my. God is only used 20 times because these psalms are, are words of him focused on himself for much of it. Now, let, let's look at what he did. First of all, there's spiritual isolation. Spiritual isolation. That's found in verses 1 and 2. He, he was in a spiritual drought. You ever get in one of those? I mean, this way means yes, this way. You ever get in a spiritual drought? I mean, there are just some days when you just, I mean, let's just be honest. You know, it's just us and whoever's watching by television. <laughs> let's just be honest. There are some days when life throws you such a curve, you may even ask yourself, are you saved? There are days when the bottom drops out and you look around and say, how could God let this happen to me? He felt spiritually isolated, not just from God's people. He felt spiritually isolated from God himself. And, and see, one of the problems we have, and I've seen this in a church all my life, one of the problems that we have is when people have a downtime or a discouraging time or, or they're going through a crisis, Rather than running to God, they run from God. They, they go out the back door and they say, oh, no, God let me down. God's never let you down. In fact, if you look up, you'll see God when you want to look down and see yourself. He felt spiritual isolation. Uh, let me just imagine that David didn't know if anybody was praying for him. He probably believed that nobody was praying for him. He probably believed that he was out there by himself to defend himself, fend for himself, and thought, what's the use? Not only was he in spiritual isolation, but he was in physical and social isolation, verses 3 and 4. He, he couldn't go worship anymore. He couldn't go to the festivals. He couldn't go to the feast. He, he was not only physically isolated, he was socially isolated. Now, I, I want you to see this and walk through this because either you're going through it or somebody you know is going through it, or you're going to need this to help somebody that's going through it. Look at, look at the symptoms of his physical and social isolation. First of all, there was crying. Ten times in these two Psalms, he asked the question, why? Why? 
He was crying. The tears were flowing. There was not only crying, there was emotional fatigue. Now, I want you to find that word despair, and I want you to circle it. Let, let's talk for a minute about that word despair and what it means. It means flat, a sagging spirit. In fact, the Hebrew word has a picture of incoherent murmuring and growling like a wounded animal. You ever heard anybody and they just, it seems that the sounds they make are sounds like this. Oh. Mm. Oh. Oh. Now that could be arthritis. But it could possibly be the groaning of a heart that is in despair and that is discouraged. It, it, is, it means to crouch or to bow down. It's used, if you want to mark this, in Job 38 and verse 40 of a lion crouching ready to pounce. David says, this despair in me feels like I'm just about to be jumped on and devoured by it. I am so overwhelmed by this despair. It, it seems that it's about to eat me alive. That's emotional fatigue. Verse 10, the shattering of my bones. Literally, literally there's, there's murder in my bones. What the psalmist was saying when the shattering of bones, he wasn't just talking about what it feels like when you break a bone. He says, it feels like I have been stuck in my heart with a knife, that I have been driven through with a spear. I am so crushed at this moment in my life that, that I feel my bones have been shattered. I'm overwhelmed, he says, verse 7. Deep calls to deep. That word deep was a word that meant chaos to the Hebrew people. When he says deep calls to deep, chaos calls to chaos. Depression calls to depression. I'm battling and I'm drowning in my circumstances. Then there were feelings of rejection. Look at verse 9. I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? And why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Chapter 43 and verse 2. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? So in chapter 42, he says, God's forgotten me. Now he thinks God's rejected him. God's just thrown him aside. This man, David, is in deep depression. Now remember, he's a man after God's own heart. But life has thrown him something that has overwhelmed him, that has crushed him, that is bearing down on him. And I believe his honesty is a help to us. I believe it can help us. Because here's a man who does not have the testimony of a weak man. This is a man who has won great battles. This is a man who's a warrior. He's a fighter. He's a conqueror. I mean, he stands above the crowd. But at this point in his life, he feels like he's just been sucked through a keyhole. You know, that can happen when you're alone. That can happen when you feel isolation. You can feel those feelings of rejection. And, and, and the psalmist is saying, you know, I know I love the Lord, but if I love the Lord, why do I feel like he has forsaken me? And why do I feel like he has rejected me? 
Can I tell you, first of all, that the devil wants you to believe that? And if you don't have a renewed mind in how you think in times like this, you'll begin to believe lies instead of truth. Because he says, God, why have you forsaken me? What did Jesus say? I will never leave you or forsake you. Now, if that's true, then feeling like you've been forsaken is a lie. It could be chemical, it could be emotional, it could be age, it could be circumstances, but you and I have to get our eyes off of that and get our eyes up on God because in the reality of the moment, we need to see God, not the problem. And that's what David does to us. When we're in despair, it helps to remember that God has been faithful in the past, that he has stood by us. And so David does, I love this, David starts talking to himself. Now, if you see somebody doing that in the mall, you may call people with jackets to come pick them up. Of course, you never know these days if anybody's talking to themselves. Because, you know, they could have, you think they're listening to their iPod and they got somebody, and, and you just walk up on somebody going, well, I don't know, I'll be there tomorrow. And you're going. Who are they talking to? And have you ever walked up on one and they're just talking to somebody, you know, on a jawbone or something, and they're just talking to somebody and, and you think they're talking to you? I've just started doing that now. When I see people doing that, they say, how are you doing? I'll say, fine, thank you. How are you? <laughs> but David gives himself a good talking to. Look at what he does. He, he, there's no evasion of the issue. David had the courage to face it. And by the way, he had the courage to be honest about it. You see, if you think God's forsaken you, if you won't admit it because you're trying to be spiritual, then you're never going to be able to deal with it. Now, I, I, don't, I don't do much counseling. I'm not a good counselor. Uh, my, that's not my gift. I mean, people come to me for counseling and they run out the door even if the door's not open. You know, they just run through it. I mean, you know, because I, I just, I'm a quick, you know, I... You know, by my own admission, okay, I, by my own admission, I'm not a great listener. Don't ask my wife. She has too many stories. You know, but in counseling, here's what I do know about counseling. We have, we have counselors on our staff, and, and uh, Charles Lowry's a, a trained psychologist. Here's what I know about counseling. If people won't honestly tell you what's going on with them, you can't help them. You know, and as long as you give the Sunday school answers, I'm depressed, but I'm trusting Jesus. That's not what all your family's been in here telling me. You see, if you and I are not honest about the struggles that we're having when people are trying to help us, we can't get the help we need. And you got to lay down the layers, trim back the facades, and just get gut honest. This is where I am. This is what I feel. This is what is going on. Then somebody can say, well, you shouldn't feel that way, or you don't have to feel that way, or I can help you not feel that way. But until you get honest about what's going on on the inside, you're not going to get the help you need. Look at what he says. Lord, you're supposed to be my rock and my stronghold, and I feel like you've let me down. There's that why. There's exasperation, almost indignation with God. 
Now, you see, one of the reasons why God's people get depressed and get angry, and anger sometimes is birthed out of depression. One of the times, ways we get depressed is because we think God owes us something. We think God owes us a free pass. We, we think God owes us a life free of problems and adversity. You know, I... I remember when I was in youth ministry, Stephen, you'll remember this. I remember I was in youth ministry and some sixth grader would get a crush on somebody and then find out that the other person didn't like them. And you would have thought their whole world had fallen apart. Oh, 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 oh. And all their other sixth grade friends, no, not picking on sixth graders. I could name seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth, eleventh, twelfth. Freshman in college, junior in college, so I can name all those. But you remember, do you remember those moments? I mean, and it's like, pick your head up. You're not going to marry this person. First of all, your dad's not going to let you. <laughs> Secondly, when you get your eye exam, you're going to realize he ain't a whole lot. <laughs> He's not going to make the cover of the 150 million best-looking people in America. So don't worry about it. It's going to be okay. You see, David says, I feel like you've let me down. Listen to what Warren Wiersbe says. While there are times when God's people need to examine themselves and confess their sins, it is a dangerous thing to look at yourself too much. One evidence of this selfish pride is that we see ourselves no matter where we look. This explains why a change of circumstances cannot of itself cure depression. We must constantly remind ourselves to walk by faith and to see God in the picture. And so I want to give you a spiritual intervention. How to have a spiritual intervention in your depression, in your discouragement. It may be mild, it may be severe. But how you can get God in the middle of these moments in your life. First of all, admit and acknowledge. Admit and acknowledge. Now let me just be very honest with you here. Again, you have to admit that you're struggling with this. You have to acknowledge that you're struggling with this. And it doesn't help you if all you do is hang around people who enable you to continue to walk stepping on your tongue and on your chin. That's not the people you need to hang around with. You know, the worst thing you can do is you're depressed is hang around with a depressed person. I mean, at some point, you need to change your company. Go to happy hour and drink a lot of sweet tea. <laughs> Get excited. Drink 12 Red Bulls or something. It just... Change your demeanor a little bit. Wired is better than weird. <laughs> I've gone to some SLUs and, and, and kids will come in from SLU. You know, I always under, don't understand why younger people seem more tired than I am. And they come in, oh, oh, like, and they bring in Red Bulls in and they drink like three before the session starts. And then they sit in a session and they look like their eyeballs are pumpkins. I mean, they're like. 
I mean, you got to admit and acknowledge what's going on. That means no pretending and no facades. Move beyond the, the cliches. Move beyond little pat answers. So admit and acknowledge. Secondly, rejoice in God's past blessings. I mean, you may be going through a dark time right now, but, but God's blessed you. That's one reason why you ought to write some things down in your life, some mile markers, some, some significant moments in your life when God has just really moved in and blessed you and been good to you. I, I want to tell you something. I, I need people sometimes in my life to remind me of past blessings because I forget. I forget how God's taken care and provided and met needs. And I, and I can get focused on an issue and on a problem, and I, you know, I can drive that nail through the board and all the way out and bend it and come it back the other way. But sometimes I need people to just say, hey, remember? Remember that blessing? Remember God's goodness? Remember God's faithfulness? Remember God's grace? God has not forsaken you. You may feel like it, but what you feel does not change the promises of God. The promises of God are true. Your feelings are fickle. You have to remember God's past blessings. Now, let me just say, I don't know, I'm not asking any of you if you're depressed. I'm just going to ask you, has God ever blessed you in any way? Just raise your hand. See, you remembered something. You just have some times when you need to remember it more. And then lastly, act out your faith and don't mope. Act out your faith and don't mope. Look at chapter 42 and verse 8. Now David's been talking to himself. Now he realizes that God really is with him. The Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime, and his song will be with me in the night. Now, let's just stop right there. This is a prayer. Now, what's covered in that one verse? Day and night. So, it's daytime. You're awake. You're feeling discouraged. You're feeling depressed. The Lord will command His loving kindness in the daytime. Okay? All right? I'm going to remember that. And His song will be with me in the night. So, when you're awake and even when you're asleep, God is watching over you. In all those moments of your life, look at chapter 43 and verse 3. Oh, send out your light and your truth and let them lead me. Now, here's what he had been doing. He had been letting his attitude and his feelings lead him. He says, now, Lord, I want your light and your truth. Why? Because I'm walking in the dark clouds of depression. I want your light to break forth in my life. I want your truth to guide my path. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling places. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy. And upon the lyre I will, shall praise you, O God, my God. You see, in the process of talking to himself, he starts talking to God. Because in reality, at the end of the day, you just run out of things to say to yourself. I mean, don't you? I mean, you know, at some point, you just, you've talked to yourself and you're tired of your own conversation. So he quits talking to himself and he starts talking to God. 
Look at what he does. He says, God of my life, God my rock. One of my favorite Ron Dunn quotes is when he talked about uh, the death of his son Stephen and uh, the many tragedies that hit his life. And he said, I have been to the bottom and it is solid ground. God my rock. Then he says, God, the help of my countenance in verse 11 of Psalm 42 and verse 5 of Psalm 43. And then God, my exceeding joy, Psalm 43 and verse 4. That, that little phrase, exceeding joy, could I encourage you to just write something down right by that verse, verse 4 of chapter 43. Turn your suffering into a song. Turn your suffering into into a song. You know why there are certain songs we like in funerals and certain songs that touch us more than others? Because they are in a moment of suffering. We have a song in our heart. Look at what he says. I love this. God of my strength, that's chapter 43 and verse 2. And God my rock, chapter 43 and verse 4. Exceeding joy. Joy that knows no limits. Here's a man, I don't know how long it took David to write these two songs, but here's a man who minutes before was downcast and depressed and discouraged, and now he has exceeding joy. Why? Because circumstances changed? No. Because his focus changed. He saw God in a new way. He remembered God's faithfulness. And if you're here today and you're discouraged or you're depressed or you're in despair or you're just down about life and about your circumstances, can I just encourage you to do something? Come to Jesus who said, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. I don't know what happened to the disciples. I don't know what they did between Friday night and Sunday morning. Good Friday, the crucifixion, and Sunday morning, Easter. I don't know what they talked about on that Saturday. But their conversation changed when they got a good look at the resurrected Lord. You may need medication for your depression. It may be a chemical imbalance in your body. It may be a legitimate physical thing that has to be dealt with with medication. That's okay. But for most of us, what we need is to get our eyes off our circumstances and off ourselves, and get our eyes back on to the Lord until our suffering becomes a song. Let's pray together. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Our staff are going to be at the front, and we're going to have a song of invitation in just a moment. And I want to encourage you, uh, as you stand quietly to your feet with your heads bowed, if you are dealing with something today that's got you down and discouraged and weary, tell the Lord. Talk to the Lord. Thank God for His past blessings. Thank God for His past favor and goodness. 
Ask God to take your exceeding sorrow and discouragement and to give you exceeding joy even if your circumstances don't change. Let God the Holy Spirit, the comforter, the encourager, the one called alongside, that's what his name means. Let him come alongside you right now. Let the God who is within you and the God who is around you comfort your heart today in a way maybe that you've needed for a long, long time. I'm going to pray. The minute I get through praying, we're going to start singing. And, but I'm going to ask you and the congregation to remain in an attitude of prayer. If you need to come down and lay your burdens down at this altar, I want to tell you there have been many people that have put tears on these altars and found sweet release and joy in the Holy Spirit that walked into this room very down and discouraged. God can do that for you. If you're in despair today and you don't know the Lord, the one who can deliver you from your despairs, the Lord Jesus Christ. Because he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He knows what suffering is about. And he can help you today. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray for the downcast and the despairing. For those that are filled with anxiety and hurt and pain. That they would hope in you that their joy and their strength would come from you, that their suffering would become a song, that there would be a peace in their heart that passes all understanding. Lord, we have little control over our life and our circumstances, but we do have control over who we look to when we are in tough times. So may your Holy Spirit do his work with great freedom today and comfort those who feel afflicted in Jesus' name. Heads are bowed. The choir singing. You come right now.